Welcome to Pound and Cure Podcast, episode two. Episode two. What's the name of this one? Social Determinants of Health. Social Determinants of Health. You know, I was thinking Pound of Cure, POC. I think I tried to think of this a long time ago, too. We could have a segment that's like POC, POC, which is like Pound of, pound of Cure, Points of Contention. Yeah. And we can talk about like, I don't know, if, if we ever disagree on something. Not that, well, we, not that that would ever happen. We could, you know, disagree to discuss the conflict, you know, two sides of an issue or something. As opposed, so to we could literally agree to disagree. Yeah, we could we could agree ahead of time without you know we could talk about issues without focusing on just our That's personal true. opinions and. Yeah, these guys don't know what goes on behind the scenes. I think we probably do agree on most of these things, but. But, you know, we have similar educations. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the... And we're also right. Yeah. That's the big thing. We're smart, you know. <laughs> <else is dumb. laughs> that's, the, that's, that's why we're, you know, preaching. You know, we're yeah, on our really soapboxes. Just... We're standing here on soapboxes right now, recording this. I to make know. you smart. Yeah. So you can join the smart team. Join the smart team. <laughs> Email us your thoughts. Pound the Cure podcast at gmail.com. Um, where smart people go for email (laughs) (laughs) there's a little plug we didn't get paid for that alright so um, today we're going to be talking about social determinants of health yeah correct and uh, it's an interesting thing and I don't think most people think about it because I say that because I didn't really think about that until I got into public health and started studying it formally you know, when people think of disease, they think of biological uh, risk factors and, and, you know, things about the disease in particular, whether it be a virus or a bacterium or whatever that's causing the disease. You know, you think about, like, what about that thing makes it infectious? And what about a human is a good host for it? And how do these things come into contact? And that's kind of it for a lot of people, I mm-hmm. think. You know, but... And, Social determinants of health are a little bit obvious, you know, like when you start to talk about them, you're like, oh yeah, of course, of course this stuff affects your health, but it's important to talk about them and study them because they play probably a bigger role in, in people getting sick than a lot, than just biological and physiological factors. And I think that's, again, you know, what public health is sort of specializing in in looking at, you know, disease and what makes people more at risk than other people for getting diseases, regardless of what the disease is or how it's caused. I think, you know, there's, like you said, a lot more that goes into, into disease and especially on a population level than just, you know, you have an agent or a mechanical dysfunction or, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, genetic yeah. Dis- abnormality or malfunction, you know, that right. makes you sick. Right. Yeah, I think the classic example is like, you know, your cold, the rhinovirus, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it's, it is seasonal, but y- you just kind of picture it like out in the air and then at some point you breathe it in and then you're sick and then, you know, it's more concentrated around your air and then people around you could get sick. But in a way that is... That is social. Those are social structures coming into play because, you know, who you're around and why you're around them 
are creating those risk factors for other people, mm-hmm. right? Well, yeah, communicable diseases can make that really, mm-hmm. really obvious. And, you know, another another good example, I think, that's sort of current or the way, you know, people react to, you know, outbreak types of situations or with, like, avian flu or, you know, luckily, you know, that stuff didn't get real big, but even... You know, and even I think in some ways the way that they dealt with that in like movies like Contagion or something is, you know, people will start to turn against each other. Yeah. You know, in the case of, you know, you, sick people have something that they don't want to be infected by and it could create, you know, a whole collapse in the social structure. Right. But Brad Pitt's probably going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess just to back up a little bit in terms of like a, a formal-ish definition... Um, you know, social determinants of health are something that the CDC and the World Health Organization recognize as being important. And I think in, you know, they've both have initiatives to work them into new policies. Um, so generally, you know, from according to the CDC, um, social determinants of health are conditions in the environment in which people are born, live, learn, work, play, worship, and age that affect a wide range of health, functioning, and quality of life outcomes and risks. Yeah. So I guess, you know, the, you know we're, we're talking about examples in terms of infectious diseases, or not just infectious, but in diseases. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things about public health is, you know, health outcomes really vary from quality of life, you know. Um, sure. All, all aspects of, of maintaining you know, good health, not just whether you're sick or not, or, you know, whether you're infected with something or... Right. Yeah, that's a good point. And I I think this stuff is important because diseases don't, or even just health outcomes in general, don't affect everyone the same way. Right. And as public health people, we kind of need to understand why and how to intervene. Like, how can we, how can we help if we don't know what's at work here? Right. And, you know, there's this huge trend that that's very obvious that, you know, people that have, you know, that are economically disadvantaged for whatever reason have much worse health, you know, overall compared to people that have wealth and access to resources. And I think that's, you could look at a million different layers and examples of that, but you'd see, you know, the same the same trends. I mean, I, you know, I remember when I worked at the health department, there was this, um, people called it the backwards J, but if you looked at a map of the city, you know, like almost all of the disease outcomes corresponded directly to where the highest levels of poverty in the city were. And it was, was like, it, it lined up like that for so many diseases as well as, as, you know, health outcomes as and you know, just general, like, quality of life, you know, safe environment outcomes, too. Yeah, it's no it's no coincidence. It's no coincidence. But I have a question. Yeah. Is a backwards J just an L? Well, it would, it, it would curve. Like a cursive L? Uh, it, it could, you could call it that. <laughs> Sorry, I, you know, I... If you're right. listening in Philadelphia yeah. <laughs> Department of Health... I'm available. Send us an email with your <laughs> <Yeah>. questions. <laughs> Tell us what you think. Tell us what you think. This is the hottest debate in public health right is now. Is <laughs> a backwards J really just an L? A cursive L? A 
Curse L. <laughs> and the other thing that came to mind when you were talking, wealth and health differ only by that one letter. True. And I don't think that's any coincidence. Although, the wealthy people have different problems. That's true. You know, mental health problems, overconsumption related sure. right. diseases. But I think if you look, you know, on... On a large scale, those are very small compared to the health problems that the I poorer agree. populations have. They're just, you know, you know. I, I had a a um, advisor, an undergrad, um, that I think, you know, a lot of the reasons that I went into public health were from her um, and influenced by her. But I remember, you know, one of the things she said. Um, was about, you know, if you look at people that are living in poverty, if you, you know, look at one aspect of their their life, you know, look at their, you know, negative health, um, usually their whole lives are a mess. Not, you know, not to, like, be critical of people that don't have a lot of money, but usually, you know, there's not just one aspect of their lives that are problematic. It's usually sort of like across the board, you know, usually that economic problems create stress and, you know, lack of living in a safe environment, which creates disease and, you know, mental health problems come with all of that. And, you know, just not having access to resources and, you know, safe environment usually just leads to so many more problems that I think if you just look at, you know, like, yeah, addiction and you know obesity in rich people—it's like, right, a very you know a drop in the bucket compared. That to, makes sense. You know how many issues there are affecting you know people without access to resources. It's yeah, social determinants of health kind of represent just like a a bad chain reaction mm-hmm. that end up exactly. with that end in sickness. Yeah, you know, but. There's so much happening, and that that's why it's it's hard to intervene because there are also a lot of systems in place that make it very difficult to change a lot of these things. Right. Um, and where do you even you right. know, intervene? I mean, sure, you can improve people's health, you know, or you can treat them for disease, but you know, if their environment is unsafe for you know pollution reasons, or you know violence yeah. um, risks, you know, their risk of, of, you know, getting injured or dying from something else is still very high. You're not yeah. necessarily lowering that overall risk or improving their quality of life just because, you know, you treated them for that disease that was so right. bad that made them come to the hospital. Yeah. Well, one thing we do in public health a lot is look at what other countries do, mm-hmm. you know, and I find it interesting to do that. Um, Americans, I feel like, don't like to do that in general, but public health is really interesting because America and the United States is is not the healthiest place, you know, when compared to a lot of the rest of the, especially the developed world. And we spend the most money on healthcare. Right. So... It's kind of a bad... That's, that's not a good equation. No. <laughs> we have bad health outcomes and we're spending so much more money yeah. trying to improve them. And, you know, it's, especially with different, 
different diseases when you when you look at specific diseases it's kind of easier to see but you know especially like Europe and Scandinavia they have a lot of political and just social programs in place that probably directly and indirectly just create healthier populations mm-hmm. and it's maybe hard to make that claim but it seems fairly solid you know and it seems pretty obvious but it's a very different the the makeup of their population these populations are is very different right right which it's is hard to compare it's very hard to compare because america's so big probably too big but that's my opinion and too big diverse and very you know? diverse in all aspects which makes it you know when you look at the averages or you look at trends and in, in that and things that will help all americans it's you know, becomes more of a daunting task. But we also have a huge government, so... Right. But, it, I mean, it is easy to look and, and, like, get ideas, you know? Oh, yeah. Other countries propose just, like, giving everyone money, you right. know, very simply, which is maybe a good idea. Yeah. Or just, like, decriminalizing drugs that are right. illegal here. That's a great, a great example. Of, you know, prisons, you know, we have the highest incarcerated population, and, and prisons, I mean... We could do a whole episode on that too, but I mean, the yeah. negative health and social repercussions of that are, I mean, it, you know, is, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, but you know, you know what I think is a good example that can, uh, elucidate these social determinants of health a little bit. What's that? A disease that everyone's probably heard of. Um, it's called HIV, human immunodeficiency virus. Or the virus that causes AIDS. Um, Many or all aspects of society or social structures can play into people's risks of getting HIV. Yeah. And uh, let's talk about that a little bit. All right. Um, So why is HIV a good example of a disease to talk about? Uh, well, I think it, you know, it, it um, disproportionately affects uh, marginalized populations in this country. I think it's, you know, it's not a disease that you're seeing in the average heterosexual white American middle class. It's, right. um, you know, it's disproportionately affecting all, you know, racial, ethnic minorities, um, you know, sexual minorities, um, you know, low income populations, uh, could probably people with mental health and mental health issues. Yeah. Drug addiction problems. That's huge. You know, I mean, generally it's a, you know, all humans have sex. Most humans have sex. So, you know, that's a common, you know, sort of levels the playing field, but you know, the people that are engaging in risky behaviors around sex, um, you know, tend to be people that are... Yeah, risky as far as HIV goes. Risky as far as... As HIV and, I guess, STDs go. Right. Risky sex, specifically. Right. Right. No no judgment. Just, like, things that are scientifically shown to increase your risk of getting the disease. Right. Yeah. Um, like unprotected anal sex, right. for example, not to that's be a huge contributor. Yeah. You know, that's a risky behavior, and there's nothing wrong with 
Right, and there are certain people who are more likely to do those things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, the big thing about HIV is that it's it was stigmatized pretty much from day one, and it's still stigmatized thirty thirty five years since it was identified, and that has not helped public health and improve outcomes at all. It has been a huge hurdle. And, uh, those are, these are social things that, that are, are, um, are being judged essentially by political and medical systems. Mm -hmm. Right. So it was immediately associated with, with gay men in the 1980s. And I guess like sex workers. I think that was even later. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, right off the bat, it was called, it was called gay cancer, and it was called right, gay-related right. immune deficiency. Like those were the names of the disease at first, which is like powerful, you yeah. Know? And s- people who didn't fit into those categories were like, "Oh, I'm fine," and people who did, nobody wanted to talk to them, right? You know, like it was all of a sudden they were like demonized. And that hasn't gone away, even though so much research has shown that, you know, it's human immunodeficiency virus. Like, right. The important word there is human. Like, anyone who's human can get this disease. Except for those people that have that weird CD4 marker, right? Yeah, there's a, a rare group of people that are immune. Yeah, but that's probably random anyway. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that I've heard people talk about is even with, you know, I think that makes us... Another really good example is even with all the focus on technology, medical technologies and treatments, like there's probably eventually there will be a really common treatment. You know, eventually there'll probably be a vaccine. You know, we were were talking before about, you know, post-exposure, pre-exposure prophylaxis called PrEP, you know, which is something that you can basically, basically take the treatment for HIV before you have it and it pretty much prevents you before you're exposed. Yeah. Prevents you from getting it and it prevents people that have it from spreading it. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I've heard a lot of people say that it's not going to go away because it's going to just become a disease of the poor. And you know, because people just because we have medical technologies and treatments for things, it doesn't mean that they're accessible to everybody. And just like everything else in this world, you know, that we're talking about, you know, if you're, you, you know, are not, you don't have access to those resources, you know, it doesn't matter if there's a vaccine or an easy treatment, you know, that's going to disproportionately go to people that have better access to health resources and, you know, the marginal populations, unless they're brought in to the mainstream, are not going to, not going to benefit from that. So I think the idea of we just need a vaccine or we just need a drug to treat things is, you know, especially in this case is it's just the beginning of, yeah, it's not, it's not gonna, it's not gonna solve the problem. And that's not the only problem. Is that what they refer to as social capital or lack of social capital being able to access uh, just sort of having the, the resource, the resources and the capacity to move through your, your, sort of incidental conditions to yeah. improve your health or lifestyle or whatever. That's a good, a good term. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, well, I'm just flipping through this paper, but um, they have, so the social determinants of health, one of the terms that is thrown around is the neighborhood effect, which is kind of basically what we're talking about, how uh, your neighborhood is, is more than just your, your, what we would call your neighborhood, like where you live, but it's also who you, who you interact with. So, so geographically where you are and then who in that area you are connecting with Mm -hmm. or in contact with. And, um, well, HIV has been tracked socially since the beginning too, you know, like they had, sorry, I'm jumping around, but I remember, I'm just thinking about how they like identified that patient zero, which was like a, he was an airline, what do you call it? A flight attendant. And they kind of just like tracked his movements across the country. And that was how they, I think that's how it became known as like a gay disease because he happened to be a gay person, like spreading the disease without knowing it. And you know, that, that is social epidemiology. Right. And natural experiment. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but everything from from your neighborhood to the law to policies are disproportionately affecting people at risk for HIV and also with the disease itself. Right. Um, even so far as this paper claims that being at war will affect someone's risk of HIV, which is something that you probably aren't just going to think of. Mm-hmm. But you know, it it all depends on where resources are going and who's getting who's getting them, and that is what the social determinants of health um, portray. Yeah, absolutely. That that's a really good point. You know, I think in general, I mean, coming from a local health department in a major city, um, you know, it was a fairly big operation. It was severely underfunded, which is why I unfortunately not able to work there anymore Mm -hmm. um but you know in i mean this is you know we're the fifth largest major city or whatever but you know other health departments in other cities are could be like just a couple people yeah you know i mean that's talk about like distribution of resources for you know right i mean i guess i'm not you know militarization doesn't really apply on a local level, but even like police and firefighters and, you know, whatever the resources are spent on. I mean, if you're, you know, only having like a staff of a couple people that are tracking and, you know, on the front lines of preventing and treating disease, you know, it's inevitable that you're going to have, you're not going to do a very good job at, right. at dealing with that. And I think, you know, the CDC is a really good example of that. I mean, when I was in graduate school, it was during the Bush presidency. And one of the major changes that they did was they removed a lot of medical people from the CDC, particularly epidemiologists, which was why it was so concerning um, to my professors, I think, and replaced them with military people that didn't have, you know, didn't have really have the background and you know the focus was on preventing biological terrorism and you know military based initiatives that 
you know, focusing on that instead of monitoring and improving the health of the American population. I think, you know, that was just a, a blatant example of, you know, how the politicians or, you know, administration is able to, able to, you know, just, just that, you know, whoever's in power is able to affect, you know, the disease rates of. Right. And even, even when the resources are there, you mentioned the police, like police enforcement itself can also put people at risk. Right. Right. Absolutely. So it's like, it's not just where the money is, but it's also the politics of the situation. And, you know, people, police and marginalized populations often you hear about the relationships that exist you know they're all over facebook and everything in the past couple years it's been seems like it's been an explosion but it's really just been awareness i think right and i mean i can't speak from experience but i'm sure it's hard to be a marginalized person and deal with police yeah and it's going to definitely change your behavior um and that is going to affect your health. Right. I mean, you know, just to off the top of my head, an example, you know, if say you're, you know, marginalized population, you, you know, get arrested for something that a non-marginalized person probably wouldn't have been arrested for, you know, the, you know, you end up in jail because you couldn't afford a lawyer and, you know, just the whole system for really poor people and the criminal justice system is, you know, doesn't usually go very well. You know, you end up in, in prison and, you know, getting out of prison, you know, you have trouble finding a job because of your criminal record. And, you know, just that incident could absolutely create all kinds of, of health problems. You know, you can't have a job, you know, you can't get a good job. You know, you're probably not going to have insurance and you know, God knows what else. And also being in prison increases. Yeah, being in prison is for all kinds of stuff. Right. Hepatitis C or I'm sure HIV. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. Prison's not a healthy place to be. No. Yeah. And you don't get to, you know, eat healthy and exercise and all of the other basics. No, but you do get jacked. <laughs> I wonder if that's I don't even, know if that's I wonder healthy, if that's though. even true. I feel like that's like something they always show in it's movies. Pretty Hollywood, yeah. Yeah, and they're like all they do is lift weights all day and they're like Rips, but I, I don't actually know if that's true. I wonder if everyone just. I wouldn't know. Yeah, write in with your comments. <laughs> kind of cure podcast at gmail dot com. All right, let's let's wrap her up. This was uh, episode two. There's plenty more to say about the social determinants of health. Pretty much uh, an entire uh, public health program to to talk about it. But, yeah. Um, that was all you're getting for now. So, what is your ounce of prevention? Um, I didn't really think about it. No, Not that hard. Do you have one? Do I have one? Um, no, but we can edit out the silence, so it's gonna okay. pretend like we we Thank got you. it right away. I mean, I guess my the ounce of prevention would be you know looking at people's health as a more holistic thing, and you know improving the quality of people's lives. You know, maybe as important as screening them for or you know screening them or you know educating them about diseases i think it's okay you know you're improving people's social 
situation, you know, may, may be as important, if not more important than just, you know, basic medical, <laughs> basic <laughs> medical care. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what I want to say, too. I mean, health is, health is holistic, but I mean, that's, that's public health in general. Yeah. So just, uh, prevention, prevention, breathe your own air. That's my real ounce of prevention. <laughs> Wait, your ounce of prevention is prevention? Yeah. Wait. <laughs> Wer- weren't we saying pound of cure? No, that's the name. As our... Are you giving ounce? Sorry, our ounce of prevention. All right. Um, that's what it's worth. Yeah, oh. that's right. Let's try that again. Uh, my ounce of prevention would be... I guess educate yourself about local politicians especially and you know pick keep that in mind when you're choosing your elected officials because it could have bigger impacts on your health than you think. So your ounce of prevention is vote? My ounce of prevention is be active in your local Interesting. political. I like that. That's cool. Process. Voting is part of that, but knowing, being deliberate in knowing who you're voting for instead of just, just voting. showing up just and the waiting. Act. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, I, even, even myself, I know when I vote, you know, for a lot of the local people and the local questions, like I have voted many times when I have no idea what anyone stands for or who they are. And I haven't really heard of the people. And some of them are, you know, city council and all that stuff can be. Sheriff, you know, can be pretty damn important. Mm. All right. Yeah. Um, did, I, did I already give one? My answer prevention is, for the record, um, uh, just kind of, I want people to be aware that everything they do is affects your health and everyone else's. I think Sting said it best. Every breath you take, every move you make. And I'm just going to stop it there. Because <laughs> the chorus doesn't apply. Affects you and everyone else. Yes. That's what he meant. That's what he meant to say. Sting is a public health tantricist. <laughs> Alright, signing off. Till next time. Till next time.